Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now we are a proud member of the 143 podcast network the Cheers to Comics podcast is proudly affiliated with NSCLiveTV.com. That's No Signal Comics. NSCLiveTV.com. Find the Cheers to Comics podcast on channel 34 of NSCLiveTV.com. No Signal Comics. The best in auction action. Well, hello again, Slurds. Welcome back to the Cheers to Comics podcast. I am your host, Brian Wayne, and this is episode 224. The 224th episode of this podcast is, in fact, a creator corner. This particular creator corner, uh, you know, I feel, I'm going to come out and say it, I feel really bad that this, this episode was recorded about a month ago at this point, uh, but I'll butter that up by saying with, all, I mean, just pure sincereness, maybe one of my favorite conversations I've ever had, and not just on the podcast, but just to another human being. Uh, Rich Davis, be on the lookout for this guy. Uh, You will know him from (laughs) Cult of Dracula, a flagship title from Second Sight Publishing, the dude is just an all-around interesting person. I feel like he's a hell of a guy. I'd have a beer with him in a bar if I met him as a stranger, and that's, surprisingly, that's not really something I do very often. Um, the, the dude's the shit. So just because you may not have heard of him in the comic book industry, uh, hear me now. You will know Rich Davis. So let's, uh, let's, let's talk to Rich Davis. Davis, here he is. All right, Richard Davis, how are you, sir? Man, I'm doing so much better than I deserve. How are you? <laughs> I'm, I'm excellent. And as I say every time, I'm always better when I've got another indie creator or a comic book creator of any caliber on the other end. So this is... I love this industry, as everybody knows. So to have someone that I know is about to make a big splash in this industry here here early on this podcast, man, I love it. I love yep. it. Hey, cutting edge, man. You're right there, getting all the uh, getting all the new people working their way up the ladder, man. So that's a, that's a really cool thing, and uh, it's a really good platform that you provide here. So we're uh, very grateful to, to that, and uh, I'm very happy to be here and honored that you could find space for me on your show, man. Right on, man. I'll do my best to make space for any type of quality out there. Don't get me wrong. I say no plenty. <laughs> I say no often. But, sure. I mean, when I've got something like this on my hands, I'd be 
fucking stupid to say no. <laughs> well, you know, I kind of agree with that, but, you know, I mean, well, I'm as well, judge. As, as well you should, man, as well you should. If you don't have faith in your product, then what the fuck are you doing? Right. So, um, I mean, I gotta, I can't not touch on the, the obvious negative right now. I'm calling it the corona effect. You as a new indie creator, I think the biggest thing affected, besides distribution and all of that major stuff, is right now the con, the con mm-hmm. circuit. Yep. And, uh, man, that's, uh, were you somebody that was really looking to push this book? Did you have tour dates planned out? I mean, did you, were you planning on hitting the, the circuit is what I'm asking, I guess. Yeah, we were, we were definitely, um, everybody at second sight was talking about, um, hitting up a lot of the conventions, um, this year that that's such a huge avenue, um, and outlet for, um, the indie comic scene to be mm-hmm. able to, you know, connect with fans and to network with other creators. And, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a huge attendee of Dragon Con. I've gone for 15 years, I think. Okay. Um, and, you know, I've met so many amazing uh, creators and business people inside the comics industry there, um, you know, and so conventions not being uh, available in 2020. Yeah. That's, that's a big, um, gut punch for a lot of the small press publishers and especially the uh the self publishers mm-hmm. you know i'm very lucky i have a um a publishing company second site studios behind me um and uh, so they're using their marketing abilities and um you know distribution deals with things like Cornerbox and uh, soon to be in diamonds preview mm-hmm. you know so that that's a little bit of a leg up um you know so it, it didn't hit us or hit me quite as hard not being able to go to conventions. Although I definitely miss the opportunity to meet face to face with, you know, fans and kind of show them the, the, the book and talk to them about it. And, um, you know, but, uh, you know, I've kind of made a pivot and I've been doing my best to do every possible podcast that I can, oh, because, you know, podcasts are kind of filling in the gap. Um, left by uh, the conventions uh, being shut down this year, you know, so podcasts are now, I think, the best opportunity to reach, um, you know, to reach the fans directly, the folks who, you know, might have an interest in uh, learning more about the book. Um, but yeah, man, it's, it's, it's definitely going to be going to be interesting to see what it does to the indie scene um, in the coming months, um, you know, with COVID shutting everything down. Yeah, man, it's, it's it's strange times for sure, and it sucks that there's so many uh, relationships that aren't going to be established because of the lack of camaraderie that, you know, will not be taking place at these, these conventions. And that's really, I think, the most important thing, the, the peer-to-peer relationships with, mm-hmm. I mean, not even just indie creators, all creators coming together and just bullshitting and coming up with stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a bummer. I fear that 2021 isn't going to be nearly as fruitful as I would hope, because based off of the indie momentum, I mean, it's just getting bigger and bigger every year. And right mm-hmm. now we're still dealing with, I mean, we're, we're, we're getting to enjoy stuff for the, for the most part was in production or, I mean, yeah, there's, there's not a whole lot of stuff that's just brand new, just thought of right now, because, you know, publishers are, they're tiptoeing around things. They got to be mm-hmm. careful. And it's, it, it, it just, it's sucks, man. But it does. And, you know, it's it's insanely expensive to produce a comic book. You know, when you think of, um, you know, not a lot of customers look at it and they're like, wow, you know, four dollars or sometimes five dollars now to purchase one. But when you really when you look at it, I mean, it, it cost me 
um, just about $10,000 to produce Cult of Dracula number mm. one. I mean, and that's where that's not even talking about issues two, three, four, five, and six. Mm. It's just one issue. And, you know, uh, you, but you pay for quality and you can't ask a quality artist like a Henry Martinez or a Georges Genty mm -hmm. or a Sanford Green, you know, to work for free um, just because you've got a great idea. And um, so, yeah, it's um, I understand why the publishers are are being hesitant about putting new work out, but I don't think they need to be too frightened and too timid um, because there's a hunger out there for genre books. And I think we're seeing um, and COVID might open this up, you know, because it's forcing people to think of new avenues like uh, like Kickstarter and direct distribution and things like that. Um, so but there there's a we're, we're almost seeing a resurgence of that kind of Wild West indie comic scene that dominated the early 80s. You know, you had like 500 publishers putting out all these crazy books and, you know, whatever you were into, you could really get really, really super niche with uh, with comic books. And, you know, we're kind of starting to see a return to that. I think people are getting a little burned out on the corporatized, homogenous um you know, superhero stories, mm -hmm. uh, especially, you know, now that Disney's taken over Marvel and Warner Brothers, AT&T, whatever uh, company now mm -hmm. owns DC, you know, they, they're kind of, they're playing things safe and you're seeing a lot of the same stories just recycled over and over again. And they're not, they're not taking the risks that they once did. So now the, you know, the more mature comic book uh, readers, they're hungry for, more detailed, more stories with more depth and complexity. So they're they're gravitating into the indie field, um, and they're they're looking for genre books. They're looking for horror and sci-fi and fantasy because you know they they don't want you know twenty eight pages of Wolverine punching um, saber tooth anymore. You know they've grown mm -hmm. up, and so I think there's a lot of opportunity um, for publishers who have the courage to pursue where the market's going right now, um, you know, because with DC and Marvel kind of pulling their slates back and not releasing as, as many books, that opens up a huge field um, of opportunity for these small press publishers to get their books out there because customers now all of a sudden when they, you know, they're used to spending $50, $60 a week on their comic books, um, well, now there's not 50 or $60 worth of Marvel and DC books coming out anymore. So, well, maybe now's the time to take a risk on a Cult of Dracula or a Lady Freedom or a Book of Laxia from Second Sight. Or, you know, maybe you try this new book from Aftershock or from Scout, you know. So, you know, I understand why publishers are kind of rolling back their um, their publishing slates right now because I understand the, the expense and the investment that, re that it requires. But I also hope that there are many of them that are gonna see the opportunity that this is presenting as well and put the books out there that they're, that the, the comic book readers want to consume. Yeah, no, it's it, it's nice to see some sort of quality filtration now, not just uh, marketing opportunities. Mm -hmm. You know, and, that, and that's the thing is, you know, you put out a brand new character that no one's ever seen before from a publisher that 90% of the population of the world has never heard of. Um, and it's going to be really hard to sell merchandise. But if you put out another Spider-Man thing, all of a sudden, and that, and that, and that's that's really the the, the stifle, uh, and it, it sucks. But now, like you say, 
the, the tides are turning. Mm-hmm. The the knees are getting knocked out of the big two, and the, the little guy, the cream's starting to rise to the top. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong, I'm not an anti-big two guy. I, I, I love them all myself, but I, I also understand how underappreciated indies are. So, I mean, it's... <laughs> Stuff like this, man. It's uh, this is a very important time for sure. It, it, it's it's negative in a lot of ways, but at the same time, I really I see a distant silver lining coming out of this. And um, I mean, with I'd say within the next year and a half, the indie world is going to be completely different because the the biggest thing has been Diamond uh, saying mm-hmm. uh, and their qual their quality control and uh, all of that bullshit and it's awesome that second sight bradley was able to get second sight in with diamond when he told me that i mean i I was pumped for him because that is that's fucking hard man um they yeah they they don't play nice and yeah so that that was great but now diamond right now we're kind of just waiting for that moment at this point you know when is it going to end because Mm -hmm. Anybody that understands economics <laughs> knows that it's it's not gonna be good uh, mm-hmm. unless some something happens. Right yeah. now, nothing's happening except for the resurgence of indie comics. And right. this is, like I said, the silver lining. This is the thing I look forward to in all of this. This is the Absolutely. first thing I thought of was, fuck yeah, we're gonna get some. <laughs> we're we're there's gonna be more TV shows developed now because people are gonna be more. I mean, and you know what that means? That means indie creators are gonna get paid get paid man they like they need to and i'm not saying every indie creator out there needs to to make a book so that they can get a show on amc i'm not saying that but i'm saying that most creators definitely don't get into uh, at least <laughs> the smart ones don't get into comics because they like money there's there's, <laughs> there's not a lot of money in it i, I mean right. not not very often so it, but at the same time you guys create these things and then we get these these actors that go on and they they work for three months and make 12 million dollars uh based off your fucking character (laughs) 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 this is bullshit so no it's about time the indie the indie creators get paid so that's that's what i'm seeing coming out of this so yeah i I don't know on with that man right on um so we're definitely going to talk about cult of dracula obviously but before we get into the project we got to get into the man behind the project we got to get into you, Richard Davis. I got to go all the way back to, I don't know how far all the way back is, but at what point did comics become a thing in your life? Is this something that's been a lifelong uh, dream to write a comic or just a casual reader that was given an opportunity? What's your story, man? Yeah, um, you know, when I was a kid, I, 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 I didn't get into comics until much later in my childhood. Um, I was probably maybe 11 or 12 years old um, when my parents, they tricked me into learning to love reading by giving me comic books. Um, I I used to hate, I used to hate to read, man. I really did. And all I wanted to do was play video games and play sports. And then uh, my mom and dad started giving me comic books every time I did well. Like if I got straight A's or if I did well on a, you know, on a test or if I did my chores or if I played well in my baseball game, you know, they would buy me comic books. What kind of comics were they buying you? Uh, you know, a lot of Spider-Man and okay. Men and um, Captain America. I always loved Cap, uh, Incredible Hulk, uh, Daredevil. I loved Daredevil since I was a kid. Um, and, you know, I would read these. And I just absolutely adored the stories. And um, in my little my little kid brain, you know, this I didn't realize this was reading, you know. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I got to reading comics. And eventually that led to me wanting to read more 
um, you know, more novels and more short stories. And, you know, now to this day, I'm a voracious reader. I read all the time and, you know, uh, but I wouldn't have had that love of reading had it not been for comic books and some very, very clever parents, um, you know, who just really learned to meet a kid where he was and instead of expecting him just to step up to where they were. So my parents were great with that. And um, I'm very grateful for that because, you know, my love of reading is really a big part of who I am. Um, and I don't want to, I don't want to meet the person that I would be if I never learned to love reading, um, you know? Um, that, that's awesome, man. I mean, I, it's, it's most of the time the story is the opposite. The, the parents throw away the comics because, you know, you're too old for this shit and blah, blah, blah. So, mm -hmm. like, let's see. I, I hope this is a lesson learned to any, anybody out there. I mean, <laughs> should, if, if there's any listener out there that has a, somebody that's doubting, just listen to this because, I mean, <laughs> Rich Davis is here now and his parents gave him comics. So this, yeah. this, this is great, man. If your kid wants to read comics, man, give them comics. Just get them reading. That that's the thing. And you know, childhood literacy is such a huge issue um, because if you don't learn to read well, it's going to hinder you your entire life. And you know, that's a you know, that's a big um, important thing uh, for myself and my wife. I, we support literacy programs with uh, with our store, and uh, I plan to continue doing that with uh, with Cult of Dracula as well. Um, you know, I always want to be a big advocate for helping kids learn to love reading as early as possible because it's really, really essential to uh, to their development. What's um, the story you speak of? Oh, uh, yeah, we actually we also own a, a comic book store in Knoxville, Tennessee. No called, shit. Yeah, it's called Nirvana Comics. OK. Uh, yeah, man. Check us out. Uh, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and got a website and all that jazz. And if you're in the Knoxville area, come see us, man. Um, but it's a really cool shop, um, you know, and uh, we focus, you would love us because we focus very, very heavily on indie books. You know, um, we do carry Marvel and DC, of course, but we also, you know, probably two thirds of our store is independent comics, you know, small press books. Um, you know, we've got, you know, every, of course, you know, people, everybody has image, but, you know, we have Aftershock and Scout and Vault and Dark Horse and, um, uh, Antarctic Press and um, Alterna. Um, we'll, we'll of course carry Second Sight Publishing books. You know, so we we really focus heavily on uh, the indie comics um, and the small press publishers um, at our shop. And um, you know that that helped me kind of formulate our marketing plan for Cult of Dracula. You know that experience as a retailer because you know I've seen over the past you know five or so years this really strong drift toward genre books. Um, generally what happens with a customer when they come into our store, um, an adult customer anyway, is they're just getting back into comics and they just, they pick their favorite superhero from childhood and they just like voraciously go at it and they buy everything that that character's in. And that usually lasts about, you know, three months, maybe five. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, they figured out that superhero stories are, are recycled they're recycled they're essentially the same 13 stories told over and over again with different characters in different situations you know it's yeah. you know and that's there's nothing wrong with that i love no, because it gives every generation an opportunity to enjoy i mean just exactly. doesn't mean the story was bad it's just exactly because it you've just, seen it before doesn't mean it's bad it's familiar so it's yeah that means it's you. going to be appealing to a larger audience so but what happens is those big voracious readers they get 
they get kind of bored. And so they're like, well, what else do you have? And we see this drift to where they kind of, they kind of put the superheroes down and move to horror or mm-hmm. fantasy or sci-fi, you know, the genre books, because generally in those, in those books, you get a, you get a wider array of more complex stories and more complicated characters and situations that, you know, where you can't define who the good guy and the bad guy is by the color of their costume. Mm-hmm. You know, it's more complicated than that. Yes. Um, you know, that's one of the things that with Cult of Dracula that I wanted to do is I wanted to avoid um, traditional heroes and villains. Um, everybody in Cult of Dracula is telling the truth. Everyone's lying. Everyone has an agenda. Everyone is makes difficult decisions and they live with the consequences of those decisions. There's no, there's no black and white good or evil. There's just a whole hell of a lot of gray and a lot of people living in a pretty horrific situation. I, I love it, man. I, I, I love it. I, I could tell that you're as a shop owner, man, that, that speaks, that speaks volumes. Uh, I mean, I could, I could interview as I could just take the rest of this interview and talk to you as a shop owner. Now, to be honest, I'm, <laughs> Uh, how are you still alive? Yep. The support of some really awesome customers. Oh, <laughs> uh, I bet, man. I bet that's 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 what it, it takes, man. It's yep. that's what's keeping the, it alive. Is you yeah. keeping? I mean, it's it's really it's a give take relationship. Yep. You have what we want, and I mean, you 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 need us to distribute that. So right. it's I mean, as long as we could play nice, yeah. No, we we should we it's should be able to keep this going. Man. You know, we we require we need each other to survive. And it's the same thing with publishers as well. And, you know, and creators, you know, we uh, that's the beauty of the comics community is how, you know, there are millions of people who participate in it. But it's really a small, tight knit community because we all understand how much we need each other. And that's why I think, you know, it's really cool that, you know, comics creators are so accessible through social media and, you know, through conventions, you know, obviously 2020 excluded. But, you know, you can you can actually you can actually go meet your favorite, um, you know, comic creator. And, you know, that person probably really wants to talk to you because they just they love what they do and they love talking about it and they love talking about it with people who dig it, you know? And, and according to Twitter, everybody hates them because uh, that's just how Twitter is. So, I mean, it, it, it's really nice. That, that's another thing about these conventions, man. It's so important to get that face-to-face affirmation, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, shit, this guy just showed up with all of the issues up until current for me yeah. to sign like and I, I i will say this 99 percent of the time if there's if i show up with all of the issues of a run i never get charged for a signature because yeah. the creators are just so like dude you really like this book you didn't yeah. just show up with the number one and hope to ship it out and get a nine eight right. in a slab you're actually reading the fucking story and you're investing your time and your money and the a lot the all of none of the creators with the exceptions of the ones that went to i guess uh c2e2 and the the psychopath ones that are going to attend the weird ones going around that shouldn't right. be going on Small cons, um, yeah. yeah uh there's I, I i've been looking at the lineups there's not really a whole lot of noteworthy people crazy enough to do that so at least we know that the creators are smart enough to stay alive to keep it going <laughs> <Right>. so. <laughs> yeah we, we, we kind of want to survive you know yeah well i mean it helps with your legacy it does yeah. uh, <laughs> i mean you gotta <laughs> I, I don't know you know 
I could probably write a book from beyond the grave, but finding someone who knows how to use a Ouija board that I actually uh, write, you know, it's going to be kind of tough. Uh, <laughs> clairvoyant editors are a son of a bitch to find, dude. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh man. Um, so uh, when did writing become the, 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 the thing like uh, you've obviously enjoyed comics since a kid. Mm -hmm. At what point was it? Okay. Now I want to do this myself. I love reading. Now I yeah. want to, um, you know, I've always had in the back of my mind that I wanted to be a writer and I've always loved telling stories. My mom tells, tells stories all the time of how I would just, you know, amaze her adult friends when I was like four or five years old by making up these fantastical stories. And it's always something that I've loved to do. And I love talking to people, um, you know, I love interacting with people and just telling stories. And, but I never really had the courage to be a writer um, until, well, really, till about my college years. You know, I wrote short stories and things like that when I was younger, um, but never really thought I could pursue it because it seemed like such an unattainable dream. Um, you know, to, to write for a living and you see how people struggle and it is a struggle. It, re it really is. It's, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, but this experience has taught me that it can be done. Like if you're listening to this podcast right now and you've got an idea um, for a comic book uh, that you want to write, man, you can do it. You, I'm living proof you can do it because I, I am nobody special. You know, I, I, I'm just a small town kid from Tennessee, you know, and I had a cool idea and I had the work ethic to get it out there and to market it and to, you know, just that I just never gave up and I never took no for an answer. And, you know, now it's being published and, you know, we've sold more than 10,000 units already. Um, mm -hmm. we're still, you know, we're still almost right at two months, 60 days before it hits comic book store shelves and we're building a great buzz. So, you know, don't, don't make my mistake of thinking of letting your fear keep you from doing what you want to do. Um, because I, I really wish that I had gotten into writing and trusted myself and believed in myself earlier so that I could write, um, you know, cause maybe, you know, maybe I could have written more and done more, but, um, you know, uh, hindsight's 2020. Um, but to your question, um, I started really my writing career as a playwright and a screenwriter. Okay. Um, I, uh, I owned uh, and operated a theater called the Browncoat Pub and Theater in Wilmington, North Carolina. And um, our mission was to find emerging playwrights and filmmakers in the southeastern North Carolina region and give them a platform to produce their works for the first time. And in 10 years of operating the Browncoat, we, uh, we produced more than 120 uh, full-length theatrical productions. Um, we did a live sitcom uh, that ran uh, right at 100 episodes. We helped create a film festival um, and did all kinds of things there to support new and emerging art. And so I wrote some plays and, um, you know, got uh, Cult of Dracula actually began as a stage play uh, that was performed at the Brown Coat um, in 2013. Um, we ran an entire month of sold out shows nominated for several awards and um, did very, very well. Um, and after that, um, I had the good fortune of getting to know uh, Mr. Tony Todd. Um, people might recognize him as the Candyman. Uh, he saw the play 
and became a good friend of mine and was very supportive of me uh, developing it further. And he just kept saying, Rich, you can't let this go. You got to do something with it. You know, you can't just let this be it. There's, there's, you got something here. And so Tony was encouraging me and we, um, we decided we were going to try to turn it into a feature film project. Um, so started adapting it into a screenplay. Uh, Tony was originally um, involved. Uh, we wrote the character of Agent Brom um, to be played by Tony Todd. Wow. Um, so that character was completely created for him. Um, and time went by. Unfortunately, my wife, um, she became very ill with, uh, with a chronic kidney disease. And so I had to kind of put the, put the film project on ice for a little bit. Um, but I still didn't want to let it go. You know, I just, I, I, I really wanted to keep this story. Just, I couldn't drop it. You know, I couldn't just move on. And so I started thinking, well, what else could I do? You know, what can I do without having to, you know, have, you know, a $10 million budget and all the things that you need to make a movie. And so it was, it occurred to me like, wow, you know, I love comic books. Why don't we adapt it into a comic book? And so, you know, uh, my biggest obstacle there is that I am a horrible artist. Um, I can't draw stick figures straight. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm horrible. Um, so I contacted a friend of mine, uh, Georges Genty, um, and he was originally going to do the interior art for me. Um, but then he got busy. Um, he got to work on uh, I don't know, some book called X-Men or something like that. I'm not familiar. And a little thing. I don't think anybody ever read it. But, um, yeah. <laughs> So Georges couldn't do the uh, do the interior art. I lost out to Marvel, big surprise. Um, and but he hooked me up with uh, a childhood friend of his named Henry Martinez. Um, Henry had worked for Marvel in the '90s. He'd done Ghost Rider and uh, Spirits of Vengeance and Blaze, a lot of books for Marvel. Very very accomplished artist, but he'd been out of the game for a while. And Georges thought that Henry and I would hit it off, and he was right. You know, so he hooked us up. And uh, man, it was probably the most uh, fortuitous meeting of my uh, of my professional career, um, you know, because Henry really helped to elevate the book um, beyond my wildest expectations. Um, you know, his art just brought my words to life, um, yeah. and now I can't picture the I can't picture the 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 characters or the scenes and the settings. I can't picture them any other way than the way Henry has drawn them because he just brings them perfectly uh, into reality. Um, you know, and Henry and I we work very well together. Um, you know, we both think about comic book scripts in a very cinematic way. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I could tell I, I do, and and the, and the preview you sent me, I, I could definitely tell this. Uh, it's framed. It's framed very well. That's that's for sure. I don't know if yeah. that's the proper terminology there, no, but yeah, I, I that, do. That's it. a great term, actually. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah. So that, and that's 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 Henry, man. He's he's really taken the reins on the visuals of the book, and um, he's inspired me to be a better writer by trusting myself more. Because you know, if you really read the the early scripts of the first issue, you know, I I kind of held back a little bit because I was. You know, I was afraid that I was giving an artist too much. You know, it's kind of that you, every art writer probably suffers this, but a little bit of imposter syndrome, you know, and I'm mm. like, and I'm like, you know, I'm writing these, what, you know, what are, what I think and I feel are beautiful, you know, character and setting descriptions and, you know, this, you know, engaging action. And then all of a sudden you'll just stop in the middle of it and you'll say, 
is that too much? Am I just being stupid? Is that just ridiculous? You know, and I did a lot of that early on, but working with Henry and having his ability to just whatever craziness I threw onto the page, you know, knowing that he's going to be able to translate it and create it in a visual sense, it gave me such confidence to just do whatever I wanted with the book. Like, you know, it's like, I know that, you know, when I'm working on a, or just finished up the script um, for issue five, and I've got this, this page is a splash page where uh, a particular character, she's turned her back and we see this crazy action going on behind her. And it's like a super close up on her face and she's crying. And my description is she's crying. And in her tears, we see her entire life story. And Oh shit. And I know that Henry can draw that. So it freed me to write whatever came to my mind. And I know when we finally get the, you know, get the final inks back on this page that I've just written, I know it's going to be gorgeous, but that wouldn't have been possible had, um, had Georges not hooked me up with Henry Martinez. So, um, you know, I'm super grateful um, for that. And I'm glad that uh, glad that Georges got the X-Men. Not that Georges wouldn't have done a great job on the book, but, um, you know, Henry and I, we really clicked. Well, I, I can honestly say, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to front here, uh, I, I, the thing that drew me to the book first was in the Key Collector app. I saw that his, his, his fucking variant cover, man, and I specifically collect... House of Secrets homage covers, and yep. I saw this, and I was like, "All right, this, I, this, this is fucking cool. What is this? This is Dracula, and you know, uh, all right." And then, I, I mean, it, uh, dude, it wasn't, I don't know, probably thirty-six hours later, I get a message from you. I was like, "All right, no, this, this needs to fucking happen, man. This, <laughs> this is fate, man. The, the, the stars, the, and this isn't the first time the stars have lined up that way. Where right. I notice a book, and then I get a message from the creator within the same week. And dude, uh, that that uh, the, 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 these covers, man. We yeah. got to talk about these artists just a little bit more. You got Sanford fucking Green. I know, you got, man. You got you got one of the Bitterroot Boys to come on. Uh, come on, dude. Yeah. A cool story about Sanford. I um, I met Sanford at Dragon Con, and we were talking. And um, I was actually there um, to pitch the book to Joe Pruitt at Aftershock. Um, and so Joe and I had just finished up a meeting, and I just happened to cross by uh, cross paths with Sanford. And I had a I had a like a mock up copy of the book with George's House of Secrets cover on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and Sanford was like, Oh, what's that? And I was like, oh, you know, we, I sat and I talked and I told him about the book. You know, I said, you know, it's it's reimagines Bram Stoker's Dracula set within a Charles Manson inspired cult. And he his eyebrow just kind of perked up and he's like, really? And he's like, can I read it? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. So I gave him a copy. And then, um, you know, the next day I went back by his booth and I started talking and, you know, he just really dug the book. And I was like, I was like, you know we're looking for some people um to do some variant covers you know would you be down for it and he was like absolutely and i was like really and he was like yeah and because at this point you know i didn't have a publisher um it was just me and it was just my story and you know I, all i had was this really crappy black and white version i mean i hadn't even colored the book yet you know and that's and it's like it's not even in comic format it's like i went to i went to office depot and i got them to bind it together with like a little ash can type of yeah with a little spiral thing you know um mm. you know and so it's like a it's like that book i mean it's and it's you know 
it's, it's ridiculous to think that I'm bouncing around this con thinking that professionals are going to, you know, just, oh, wow, this is amazing. Let's print your book, you know, but that's seriously what I had in my head at the time. And it's kind of actually what happened. Um, Be- because that's what was supposed to happen, man. That's right. How, that's how you do it. And I, I, I want, once again, you're, you're teaching so many lessons to, to aspiring creators that are listeners right now. I hope man, so, because, man. I, I really do. Uh, it's uh, it, the the dumbest thing to do, or seeming that seems the the thing that seems the dumbest to do is probably the the best thing to do. Yeah. Uh, the, the the silliest idea of yeah, I'm gonna walk around with a Xerox copy of a comic and um, you know hope that somebody famous in the industry catches your yeah no that's exactly what you do that's once again that's what these cons are for man this is this this sucks that there's gonna be uh. I don't know. This eats me alive. I, I, I'm sure my listeners are tired of hearing me bring beat this horse every time I talk to a creator. But I think we all have, you know, different experiences, obviously, and you know, we're at different levels of where we've been. And uh, dude, this is, this was, this should have been your first major, big, huge con. This is just fucking yeah. sucks. It's you know, and you're you're absolutely correct about how you've got to be willing to do the crazy. And when I say do the crazy, I'm not like, don't show up at a publisher's house or, you know, no, 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 no. (laughs) You've got to be willing. You've got to be willing to go to the con and politely wait for your moment. Maybe try to make an appointment, maybe stop by their, by their booth and say, Hey, introduce yourself. You know, you know, you're, you're the way your dad or your granddad probably did it in the fifties or sixties, you know, walk up, shake somebody's hand, introduce yourself and say, hi, you know, I'm Rich Davis. I've got this book. I'd really love the opportunity to talk to you about it. Can you schedule some time for me? And you would be surprised how many people are receptive to that. If you're confident enough and you handle yourself well and you respect them, you know, and then you've just got to realize that no one is going to open a door for you in, in this industry. You're no, you have, have to knock, man. Yeah, and you got to kick the fucker down yourself. Sometimes. Yeah, if anything, yeah, you just got to kick it the fuck down. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Right. And but you can do it. And so you know, I met Sanford. He he dug the book, and you know, I'm a huge fan of Bitterroot. And you know, and I couldn't believe that he wanted to. He was the first guy to do a variant cover for the book. And he so we talked about it, and you know, we discussed kind of what um, you know what we wanted. And he and he was he was digging the idea. He loved it. And so he sat there and throughout the course of him being at Dragon Con, um, you know, he just worked on my comic book cover right there. Oh, shit. Yeah, I sat there and watched him do it. And actually, hang tight. I'll actually show you the cover. Hold on. Oh, my God, man. This is this is fucking exciting. (laughs) So nobody has actually seen this yet. Um, let me see if I can get that backed up. But uh, yeah. oh, dog! This is Sanford Green. We're gonna actually use this as the cover of issue number four. Oh my god! Dracula. Um, so this is uh, this is our Arthur Holmwood here, and this is our Lucy Westerna. And this tree right here actually is very very essential to the story. It's called our witch tree, and right. um, so a lot of the story kind of revolves around the pagan lore associated with this tree. It's a, it's a, it's a yew tree basically, but there's a lot of, um, you know, we, we really went into researching paganism and pagan culture and different perspectives and different uh, mythologies about vampires and the occult from all around the world, you know, because every, every culture has 
the occult in their mythology and in their vernacular. Um, and everybody has a vampire story. And so we, we, I really wanted to represent that pagan culture, um, in a respectful and interesting way. So we did a lot of research and the yew tree, um, it, it plays a central role in a lot of pagan uh, cultures. So we, we wanted to represent that. So, and so I'm really, really glad that Sanford used that on his cover. You'll actually see it, uh, see the yew trees in, represented in some shape, form or fashion in almost every cover that we do for the book because it's that essential to what's going on uh, in the story. That's awesome, man. Uh, and Sanford just immediately knew what to do to it. So. Yeah. He just, and he did that in, it took him, you know, probably a day and a half at Dragon Con while he was working on it and gave And him, signing autographs and yeah. taking pictures and doing yep. commissions. And, yep. and I sat there and I watched him. Um, sometimes he would be talking with like a fan, um, you know, like you and I are doing now. And he's just sitting there working on the book and, or working on the cover and, you know, people would gather around and look at it. And so there's part of me that's sitting there thinking like, damn, people are sitting here watching Sanford Green draw a cover for my fucking book. I was, I was going to say, like, how, how is that feeling, man? I mean, did, did you know right then and there that, okay, this, this, this book will get picked up. Somebody wants this fucking book. It's got yeah. Sanford's fucking sweat and tears and blood in it. Like, this is... Yeah, uh, I, you know, I... I had a, I've always had a belief in the book. You know, I know, I know that we've got a quality story and I know that we've assembled a quality team to put it together. And I knew that the odds were stacked against us um, for getting it out there, you know, cause it's a very crowded landscape. You know, there are hundreds of books coming out every month and you know, I'm a nobody. And, you know, I didn't at the time, I didn't even have a publisher, you know, so the odds of me getting it to market were, were, you know, slim to none, but I always had faith that I could do it. And I, I, I still believe this, you know, I know a lot of people, you know, will roll their eyes and laugh, you know, because we're, we're, we're trained, especially today to be very cynical about the world. But I, I, I do truly believe that if you put the work in, and you build a quality product, or in this case, tell a quality story, and you're willing to put yourself out there and work hard, you can, you will achieve success. Um, and that's, that, that, that's been my, my motto this whole time. And, you know, we've done it. Um, you know, we, and, and it's not been, it's not been an easy road, man. I mean, we went from, not having a publisher to having serious negotiations with three um, small press publishers, you know, not like a, an image or, you know, big names, but they're, they're small press publishers that you would recognize. You see mm -hmm. their in comic book stores every single week. We had, we went from nothing to having three who made offers for the book. Then COVID happened and all of a sudden we had no offers anymore. So we were thinking, well, I guess we'll just take it to Kickstarter and do like uh -huh. a, direct, a direct market thing. And, you know, maybe we luck up and sell 500 copies, whatever. And then all of a sudden second site comes in and, you know, there, you know, Bradley tells me, um, you know, totally flattery, flattery will get you everywhere. Um, you know, he mm -hmm. puts me on the phone. He said, Rich, I love your book. Um, I'm launching a new company and I want Cult of Dracula to be our flagship title. Uh, he said, I believe that Cult of Dracula can do for second site publishing what Preacher did for Vertigo and what Spawn did for Image. He said, I believe in your book. And um, 
you know, and that was mind blowing. And, you know, and uh, just just to, you know, make for, for the people that don't know who Bradley Golden, is, this is a guy that's never written a comic that didn't get a movie deal. Yeah. Um, every is, single one of his projects right now is in development. He is a it, hell of a writer, too, man. And, you know, for um, Bradley spent most of his career producing books that were published by uh, Antarctic Press and Caliber mm-hmm. Comics, things like that. And, you know, and these are great books, things like Mississippi Zombie and Sunny. Leave uh, on the Light, man. Leave on the Light is awesome. Fuck. Um, these Dude, I just. Kids, oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. you know, and he just he had the he had the courage to say, you know what? I've got this kind of gravy train going here, but now I want to do it for myself and I want to start my own company. And so he did. And, you know, he's putting that same talent and work ethic behind it. And he's assembling a really awesome team. Um, you know, Spike Jarrell and Marcus Roberts and Peter Bro. Um, you know, some really good people working over at Second Sight. And, um, you know, I do not regret choosing to go with Second Sight um, because in the end, one of our previous publishers actually came back into the picture and said, okay, well, maybe we can do this book. And so we had to do some soul searching and we had to say, well, we've got this company that, you know, they're bigger, you know, it's going to be an easier road with them. Um, but we're going to be one of like 50 books that they put out. And they they only wanted us enough to say they didn't want us. And then now they're coming back and wanting us again. Or we've got this other company that's much smaller with no proven track record, but they believe in the book and they love the book and they're going to make us their centerpiece. And so ultimately what we decided after some agonizing sleepless nights, we decided it was better to go with Second Sight Publishing and be their number one choice and their most important property than to just be another solicit in previews for a slightly larger company. And I don't think well, decision at all, man. No, no. It, it, it's, it's a, I mean, to kind of use sports metaphors, it's the same type of situation with the high school kid. You know, it's the high school star. He's guaranteed to go to the NBA, but... Uh, the, he's got a, he's got a choice. I mean, he could go to UCAF and be the star for four years and guarantee to get a contract, or he can go to Duke and maybe be the twelfth best player in the world, but still sit on the bench. Right. You know, and it's so. Uh, I think you guys uh, that's a wise decision to make. And I don't. And I, I, I once again another lesson out there. Just because it's not Image or Dark Dark Horse knocking on your door, and you haven't necessarily heard of Second Sight yet. The key word is yet. Right. Because you could be the reason why people have heard of them. And that's that, that's a <laughs> I, 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 you got something here, man. Well, let's let's I, I have a, a lot of faith in you for many reasons beyond just the, the quality. But where you went with this, for one, there's not enough horror being produced in comics. I really don't think there's enough. Yes, there's there's uh, uh, when you when you look at the ratios, it's I mean, when it comes to just fantasy to horror, it's like nine to one mm. uh it's and good horror is another thing <laughs> uh, a lot of people i mean realize that so uh, to me creating a horror comic is the most difficult genre because the horror genre in film relies on sound so mm. much so much and obviously i mean there's no sound in comics so it's it's, it's up to a really talented writer to still be able to produce a, a creepy eerie type of feeling an uneasy mm-hmm. type of feeling so 
Uh, yeah, no, I, it's the, the most respected genre I have, or uh, writer out there for that genre, for sure. So I gotta give you props on that. Um, that's automatically gonna raise eyebrows. People are gonna go, well, what the fuck is this? Alright, yeah. another shot. Or, another yeah, shot at something awesome. Rabid fans, man. Dude, they, the, the greatest fans, too. Yep, they, they, they really, really are. are. I love horror people. And, yep. you know, a lot of the support that we're getting for Cult of Dracula has come from the horror community um, because we have made an effort to reach out to them and let them know about the book. And, you know, we've been on, uh, we've been featured on sites like Dread Central and Daily Dead and uh, Fangoria and Screen Magazine, things like that. Nice, man. Up the book. And, you know, and we're, you know, we're, we're posting our stuff in horror groups. Um, you know, so we're thinking, you know, instead of just trying to only reach, um, uh, comic book folks we're trying to also reach horror people and people who are into metal and you know people who are like into serial killers and true crime you know you've really got to try to think about how to reach the, the broadest most targeted audience and yeah horror people man they will support what they love and horror people love horror man and um, I really hope that Cult of Dracula delivers uh, what they want and, and you are spot on correct that horror is incredibly difficult to write um especially today um you know uh, one you're you're correct that it's easier to make a horror film that's scary because you can rely on things like sound and jump scares and mm -hmm. you can set the pace of how people you know see your visuals um but um you know not that making a horror movie is easy because it's not but no um, you know it has advantages over writing a horror comic um, but then you also run into the fact that audiences um, today are extremely desensitized. It's really difficult to scare someone. Um, you can only you can only draw guts so many different ways. Man. Right. I mean, exactly. It, it, you know, and we've seen it so many times. It's like um, you know what is scary, <laughs> you know, and right. like the things that terrified the people of Victorian England, when, you know, Bram Stoker was writing the original Dracula, they just don't translate anymore because mm -hmm. we've seen it a million and one times. And Leslie Nielsen has spoofed it a dozen times and <laughs> we make fun of those things. So, you know, you know, that was, um, that was probably the most difficult part was, you know, how do we, how do we stay true to what Stoker originally intended? and still present this in a way that's engaging and interesting to modern horror audiences and you know that that was very 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 difficult um to do um and we really had to think about who the characters were in their core you know um what what did they represent in stoker's day because the while the the way the the presentations are different and you know what was presentationally frightening for Bram Stoker isn't presentationally frightening today but the core concepts of what was frightening in the Victorian era are still there and still very very scary today and you know the core the the the, the whole thing about Dracula is really built around the concept of fear of the other fear of the misunderstood the, you know fear of things that don't um, that present themselves one way, but actually intend another. Um, and so, you know, uh, Stoker's original is about a, you know, uh, um, um, 
an Eastern uh, aristocrat who wants to move to England and take, you know, and just basically suck the life out of, you know, the Victorian uh, citizen. Um, you know, there's, there's also a lot of anti-immigration stuff in there as well. That's another, you know, really common theme. Um, we don't really touch that in um, Cult of Dracula, but we really focused heavily on the fear of the other. And so that's where we decided that we wanted to um, kind of flip things on their end and instead of making our Dracula a, um, an Eastern European aristocrat um, male, what we decided to do was we switched genders and our Dracula is now um, a woman. And we started with that concept, we started researching mythologies and we found that in almost every culture in human history, there's a very common character. She is an outcast woman who lives on the fringes, fringes of society or lives in the shadows or in the darkness or in the night. And she steals naughty children from their cribs or from Lilith. their, exactly, there you go. Ah. So, but it's, it's, it's Lilith, it's the Morrigan, it's La Llorona, it's Babaroga. It's Lamashtu, it's Lamia. There are dozens, it's the Wendigo in Native American mm. culture. It's all of these women and they're in every culture. So we decided what we would do is we'd take these little loose threads from different mythologies and we would tie them together and create a new narrative where our Dracula, rather than being someone's name, it's a title like queen or emperor. Okay. And so it's passed down through generations. So through a very specific bloodline. And um, so all of those outcast, dark other women who stalk the night and feed off of children are Dracula in our world. And they all connect all the way back to Lilith, the original. And so it created, it helped us to create a whole new engaging mythology um, that in a lot of ways is actually very, very frightening um, when, when we started to explore it because, you know, for some reason, society has a fear of powerful women. Um, and it, they, it's, it's intimidating because for, you know, for some people it's not natural which is the way Sto Victorian England viewed, um, you know, the, the other, the aristocrat, the immigrant from, uh, from Eastern Europe. And so we wanted to really play on that fear and what, what makes us afraid, what makes certain people fear women the way that they do and what, how can we play with that and how can we present that in, a, in an engaging, interesting horror comic. And so it really did. It opened up a whole new world of storytelling, just making that one little bitty change um, and just kind of connecting the dots of all these different mythologies. Um, and uh, I really can't wait for readers to get it and, um, you know, and, and get their reactions to it. No, that's awesome because, I mean, one of my questions for sure was what makes this different from any other Dracula story out there? But, I mean, that's everything you just said answered that perfectly. Um, uh, now, the, the one thing that interests me 
obviously is the the gender swapping and i hate using that term because it almost mm. seems negative um right. uh, yeah I, i'm i'm all for everything man i don't give a shit fucking it doesn't mean the other thing's not a thing anymore right um so uh i i have to ask i mean how are you prepared for the, the for Twitter, let's put it that way. Or, <laughs> I mean, uh, is it something you've dealt with, or you've yeah. already dealt with, or uh, you just don't give a shit because you're you? you are, know, I mean, I I really, and I know as soon as I say this, it's going to open the floodgates. Uh-oh. I, I really don't care Good what for Twitter you. thinks, you know, because Twitter is a poison. Dude. I it is it is a it is a forum where the absolute worst of humanity can be amplified and repeated over and over and over and over again. And, you know, if you personally, I don't care if you like cult of Dracula. I don't care if you agree with the decisions I made. Just all I really care about is, did you read it? Cool, Mm -hmm. man. Thank you. If you hated it, that's cool. You know, you're not going to dig everything that I dig. You're not going to see the world the way I see it. And that's fine, man. It's cool. There's, there's, there are plenty of vampire stories out there that are going to give you the traditional whatever you want. And they're amazing. And a lot of them are better than anything that I'm ever going to write. I mean, you know, 30 Days of Night is fucking insane. I mm. love it. Um, Donnie Cates is redneck. It, it, it's bananas good, man. Um, you know, and there are, there's so many amazing. Philadelphia, man. Uh, oh God, Philadelphia. I love, I adore that book, man. It, yeah, it's yeah. one of the best books on the market right now. I, yep. I adore Philadelphia. And, you know, I'm just very happy to be able to tell this story and have, you know, a couple people read it. Um, you know, and in the beginning when I started out, I, you know, my email to retailers, I was like, you know, I'm just hoping that I can sell two copies of the book. I know my mom's going to buy one. So if I sell one more, I'm winning. And, you know, that's kind of a, you know, self-deprecating joke, but you know, there's a part of me that was, you know, kind of serious with it because like, I'm thinking who's going to buy it, you know, who's going to be interested in this, this story that I'm telling, you know, because who's going to, nobody's going to buy this because my name's on it, you know? And, um, you know, so if, you know, when Twitter gets a hold of it and they, you know, and they, you get your hot takes and, you know, people who just, who don't actually read the book, but they just see that, oh, Dracula's a chick, must be an SJW thing. Like, no, nah, dude, it's not. It's really not. Um, no, it's just a much richer story played yeah. from. It's just uh, a new mythology, man. It's yeah. just it's looking at it a different way. And it's, it's taking an analytical approach to a classic horror story throwing it in a blender and mixing it up and trying to reach a new audience. Um, because who needs another story about Vlad the Impaler doing the same shit that he's done in 50 other books, you know? I mean, and the first draft, you know, just being cards on the table, 100% honest, my first draft for Cult of Dracula was exactly that. It was just a paint by numbers, you know, Vlad the Impaler story, just, set in a modern day and with some Charles Manson stuff on it. Mm-hmm. But the entire story changed when I made one time, when I was brave enough to make one itty bitty little change and swap the gender, because now we can look at, we can look at lineage. We can look at lineage and we can look at heritage and we can look at destiny and obligation. All of these things that we traditionally associate with male characters and male stories. We can now look at 
that from the feminine perspective and we can explore that and it gives us it, it just it flips the story on its end you know um and it gives us a whole new way of telling the story and a whole new um you know uh, smorgasbord of stories to tell um and if you dig that cool man thank you if you don't dig it that's cool too thank you for reading it and if you don't want to read it Hey, that's fine. I mean, I, I realize there are a lot of other books to check out and I hope you read them all. My, my thing is just read, dude. Yeah, dude, that's, that's incredible advice. Cause I mean, if there's just to, to wrap all that up is don't <laughs> write for you. Don't write for what other people are. Or don't be afraid of what other people are going to think. Don't be afraid to, to, uh, I guess, I mean, take that leap, man. Like, do something off the wall crazy. Do something that is probably going to piss someone off. Because the thing is, is for... Uh, uh, I'll admit, dude, I've got vampire fucking fatigue. I love Philadelphia. There's vampires everywhere. You explaining to me this in this way brings me into this. Like, oh shit, this is a new vampire thing. Like, this is... I haven't seen this before. Don't get me wrong. It's not like I don't like vampires. It's just everything has kind of already been done before. Yeah, you're tired of what the it same seems. story. Exactly. That's why, I, that's why Philadelphia is so fucking awesome, because we haven't seen that one. Yeah, it, but, it's <laughs> totally, And it's why 30 Days of Night was great, you know, yeah. because it answered an essential question. What would happen if vampires didn't, uh, didn't have to sleep during the day? Yeah. And it, it it opened up this killer story, you know, and <laughs> it's one of my it's one of my all time favorites. I mean, that original, uh, you know, first, uh, you know, probably I don't know, 12 issues or so of, th of the 30 Days of Night book. They're freaking incredible, yeah. um, you know, and but you've got to be willing to you've got to be willing to take risks and you've got to be willing to fail. Um, you can't be afraid to lose, you know, and. If this if this blows up and you know and Twitter hates it and you know and I'm downvoted to the sewers of, of Reddit, man, at least I did something. Just say ten thousand units, fuckers. Right? I mean, hey, I, I, you know, I'm I'm pretty proud. <laughs> I don't, proud I, of those I, units. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm like, it's kind of cool to think that, like, because we ran the numbers, um, you know, and Comicron provided sales numbers for uh, last time they updated was March, and so. Um, Marcus from Second Sight, he messages me and he's you know shows me the comic rod and I was like I'm looking here I was like if if Cult of Dracula had hit the shelves in March, um, we would have outsold uh, we would have outsold things like the Terrifics and Jessica Jones and um, Iron Age and Monstrous and Sex Criminals, um, Join the Future. I mean, amazing books that I read every single month we would have outsold them because we've sold 10,000 units already on our own um, just by busting our ass, calling comic book shops, talking to them about the book, uh, calling every podcast we can find, doing interviews, um, you know, just being, doing everything we can to talk to as many people about the comic as possible. Um, you know, we've sold 10,000 units and when we get into diamond, I mean, hell man, we're hoping we're going to sell 20,000 more, mm -hmm. um, when we finally get into diamond, cause diamond's an amazing platform. I mean, there's, you know, they're not a perfect company by any stretch of the imagination, but they still serve a purpose and they're still the, the best and easiest yeah. way to get your book to market if you can get through the door. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had to get us into diamond, you know, I have had to, I have 
pestered the hell out of Steve Leaf over there, man. I mean, I, I email him, you know, two, three times a week just to make sure I'm staying on his radar. I call him, I talk to him, you know, everything I can do um, just to make sure I share every podcast that I do, every nice every media thing, you know, making sure that, you know, that as many people as possible and as many important people um, as possible know about the comic because, you know, the chances of somebody just stumbling upon this and getting it out there and doing it for me are infinitesimally small. That's but, not how this works, dude. Nobody's out for anybody but themselves now. You think, yeah, no. you, I want, Dude, you're dropping knowledge bombs, man. These are things that these these new creators really need to know i'm sure they're on page three by now we're gonna they're taking notes like this is seriously this is an important stuff man because you're you're fresh in the shit like you're right there you're starting out but you're already showing success um and uh, no this is this is very important stuff uh, hound these people man just like you would if you were applying for a job at king supers yeah. when you're 16 you know, you're, you you got just show up every day. Let them know. Look, I'm I'm still here. I want to do this. I'm gonna work hard for you. I'm de already dedicating time to you, and you're not even fucking paying me yet. Right. Like it's it, let's uh, yeah. No important and stuff, man. Learn you know just learn to conduct yourself professionally and present yourself maturely, and never go into it thinking that they owe you anything because they don't. Oh yeah, no, you can't go into it with an ego. You're allowed to have an ego later. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you can't and, you go know, into it with an there, ego. And there's a difference between confidence and ego. You know, yep. I mean, you can be confident and you can introduce yourself and like, you know, um, like I uh, early on, I introduced myself to some publishers by saying, "Hey, I'm Rich Davis, author and creator of Cult of Dra the soon to be hit horror comic Cult of Dracula." You know, and so that that's a little bit of confidence, a little bit of joking, you know, Dude. A, little, a little cockiness. But, you know, and you got to have some of that, you know, to mm -hmm. do this. But, you know, you also have to be professional about it. And if they're, you know, if they're having dinner with their family or if they're in the middle of a meeting or, you know, whatever, if they don't have time to talk to you, you can't, you know, throw a fit or get mad. Um, but, you know, is you're right. Stay in front of them. You know, let them know that you're here. Let them know that you're dedicated and committed. And if you put the work in, man, you can do this. I mean, I can't promise you that everybody listening will succeed because, some of some projects just aren't going to be that great or they're not going to find their market or, you know, whatever, or the stars just aren't going to line up for you. But, you know, you, you can do it if you, if you work hard enough and you'll, you'll achieve some level of success if you put the work in, you know, you, you might not be Robert Kirkman, um, you know, but, but you can get your book out there. And if you write a comic, um, you, you're a pro. You know, that that's that's what pros do. They write comics. So yep. if you're if you're writing and you're producing something, then don't be afraid to consider yourself a pro. That's a that's a lesson. My friend Doug Wagner, um, creator of Plastic and The Ride, Burning Desire. Um, that's something that he shared with me early on because I was um, suffered very greatly from imposter syndrome. And I still do, man. Um, but r really early on, because I, I almost gave up. You know, I really I was like, you know, I, nobody's going to want this this is just stupid and doug didn't let me he's like look man you don't have to you don't have to get this out with image or you don't have to get this out with you know with aftershock in one of the bigger companies you know just if you get just do it you know if you if you get published by you know a first-time publisher like second sight that's never produced anything yet 
that's cool, man. You got your book out there. You're you're a pro comic writer. You did exactly what you know Stan Lee did, except Stan Lee did it like a million more times. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't mean that you can't do it a million more times. It's just you know you're getting started and he's finished his career. Right. So you know just just if you're listening and you want to write a comic, man, just do it. Just just do it. That's fucking sound advice, man. Um, so uh, you, you're just getting started in this. Uh, I, I, I mean, I like to ask all, all my all my creators. Uh, what, do you have an aspiration as far as what you want your legacy in this industry to be now? Like, I mean, you are you are you are a creator. You're a comic book creator now. That is what your name tag says: comic book creator, Rich Dan. Yeah. Um, so it's crazy <laughs> yeah. to hear that. You know, it really it's still crazy to hear it, but it's cool. I mean, yeah. it's super cool. <laughs> Uh, I love it, man. So, so do you, do you have uh, like a, a masterpiece in the works that you're working on, or I mean, I, 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 what do you what do you want your your comic book tombstone to say, man? Um, well, first, I don't want to die, so uh, that's Fuck probably yeah, why dude. I write, that's, that's probably why I write stories about <laughs> vampires, and I'm working on I'm working on a Frankenstein story now. I write a lot of stories about conquering death, and actually, last night um, I creeped myself out because um, I got asked to write a a short story for a Halloween anthology. Um, that's the other thing: if you write a comic, you'll get other comic book work. People mm-hmm. will approach you and say, "Hey, will you do? Do you want to do this? Do you want to work on that?" So last night. Um, I was where I finished up this story. Um, it's called Embalming Day, and it's a little eight-page story that's going to be in a, in a new uh, Halloween anthology that's coming out. Um, and it's all about, well, it's exactly what it says it is. It's about the embalming process, and it creeped the hell out of me. So, um, so yeah, I, I guess I do have this aversion or fear of death and dying. So, um, you know, that's probably why I write a lot of the things that I do. Um, but, so let me rephrase this then. Uh, you're 200 years old and you found yourself in a situation where you have to fake your death to escape the CIA. What would your fake tombstone say? <laughs> he told really cool stories. <laughs> Fuck yeah, man. Yeah. I like it. I, I like, like that. Yeah. Right on, dude. Um, so I I, uh, I like to kind of... I, I ask these questions to all these creators. Uh, I, I feel like they're kind of white bread questions, but at the same time, you're going to get asked these at the, when you go to your first panel. You're, you're oh, going to sure. get asked these questions. People want to know. So I want to be one of the first ones to ask. Okay, <laughs> but first, what I have to get you to do, if we're going to do a con experience and you're going to ask me a question, first, you have to start every question by telling a very long, detailed story about your life and your pet and your girlfriend <laughs> that left you in high school and how that brought you here and how you got lost getting donuts on the way. And then maybe you have time to ask the question in there because that's an authentic chronic experience. <laughs> uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep it uh, COVID authentic and just okay. kind of <laughs> cut up. <laughs> We'll do rapid fire, man. I seriously, I want as little thought into these answers as possible. I want the tippy top. That little the thought I can do. Right on, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like I said, you might cringe at these, but at the same time, you're going to get asked them. And I feel it's kind of important. Like it kind of l- lets other, l- the, the listeners know, like where you at, where you're at as far as your love and the level of comics. So. Right on. Um, the, the most obvious one is best hero doesn't have to be a superhero just best protagonist in comics that you've ever Spider-Man. read spider-man fucking Peter Parker. right on uh villain magneto solid answer uh what was the last comic you read philadelphia <laughs> yep. why wouldn't it be <laughs> right <laughs> uh favorite single issue 
and comics that you've ever read? The the one issue that you picked up that hits you the hardest? Um, okay, so not favorite, but hits me the hardest. Um, uh, the issue of Amazing Spider-Man. 36? Where, where Peter gives up his life with Mary Jane to save Aunt May. Ah. But, um, one more. Uh, I always confuse it if it's one more day or one moment in time. Uh, I think it's one more day. I think it's one more day, yeah. Yeah, and that... That is a that is a gut punch, and I hate it because it's totally out of character and totally ridiculous for Peter to do that. <laughs> it, seriously, some of the the best single issue stories in comics ever told. Or I could think of three of my top five are all Spider Man stories. There's, yeah, there's probably mine too. Because yeah. I'd say probably my close second would be when uh, would be the Civil War issue of Amazing Spider Man, where uh, where you find out how big of a bastard villain tony stark actually is and he he just kind of abandons peter out and says oh yeah by the way peter parker spider-man bye <laughs> yeah not not a shining moment for old stark there but yeah no hard issue dude hard issue yeah. for sure like the 9-11 issue like we can't forget Great. about like one of yeah. the greatest issues ever written but yeah no i i, I like your answers dude um so <laughs> No, you, you you've written Dracula. Now you obviously have a taste for horror, and uh, so who's the best monster that's not Dracula? Probably Dorian Gray. Fucking a deep cut. I like it. I like it, man. Well, I'll leave you with that. I think that gives us uh, plenty to munch on to figure out and after this is all said and done. Maybe who who you are just a little bit more. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I I. I Ridge, this is, I can honestly say this has been one of my favorite interviews I've ever awesome, done. This man. is, this is fucking awesome. I'm glad I made it worth your time, dude, really. <laughs> uh, it's it's never not worth my time, I'll say that. But this right here, I, I'm, I'm hoping the listeners uh, seriously have been taking notes and... Fuck, go pick, out Col go pick up Cult of Dracula. It's not too late to order it. I... I saw it... I, I'm religious on the Key Collector comic app. It's just... This is what I do. I'm in the comic book industry. It's yeah, part sure. of I, I I gotta know these things. And I saw that cover, and then I saw all of the covers, and I was like, all right, this isn't just a oh, you know, if you collect House of Secrets, this might be a thing. No, this is this this book's gonna be big because you sir have created the premiere issue for an up and coming indie distributor that is <laughs> well, the the titles that will be coming out from this uh, mm -hmm. leave on the light and all these things that Bradley was bringing over from from aftershock aftershock's allowing him to bring over which is so fucking cool of them um it, dude you, you get to lead the way you're you're the guy yeah. cult to dracula i mean how how uh, how perfect is it that the premiere issue is started with the word cult like right. you, you, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's you know and it's so cool you know because Cult of Dracula. It's a it's a vampire book. It's a cult book. It's an occult book. It's a witch book. I mean, there's so much. If you're a horror fan, there's so much in there for it, um, for you, and it explores so many different mythologies and so many different cultures. Um, you know, I really think if you dig horror, I really think you can find something in there you're gonna like, um, and at least I hope you do. And if not, I'm just grateful that you read it. Um, but you know, and Key Collector, dude, that has been so helpful to us because when they identified us as a future key and they at, at that time they really they just showed the house of secrets variant and the chris callahan variant and i mean sales exploded from that um retailers ordering our book that's awesome um, and then um our our first retailer exclusive actually went on sale last thursday so about a, uh, about five days ago 
um, uh, from Scorpion Comics, and it was a beautiful variant by Alan Qua. If you want it, you got to go to eBay to get it now because um, it went live at 6 p.m. Eastern time. It was sold out by 6.45 p.m. Eastern time. Um, so that was more than a thousand copies of that book gone like that. What the fuck um, is that feeling like, dude? I couldn't imagine that feeling. Like, I I really just I was just sitting back like I, this. This is so surreal, man. I mean, and then you know I saw you know Sean, the dude from uh, from Scorpion, is telling me like you know how they're selling, you know, and how many we got left, and like we get you know we get it gets to be about about six thirty ish, and he says we've got. Um, We've got like a hundred, uh, we got like 150 left. And then right immediately after that, like, nope, we have 30 left. And then like five minutes later, done, we're sold out. And then, so just for funsies, cause of course I had to do this the next morning I woke up and I went on, uh, I, I went on eBay and searched for my book and there's like, I mean, they're all over eBay and they're, they're selling people are, they're like $200 for, for the book now. Ooh. And it's blowing my mind that somebody's willing to pay that kind of money for something that I wrote. Um, you know, now not every book's going to be 200 bucks. You know, we've got, uh, the main cover, if you, you know, for readers, we kept the price really, really low. It's $2 and 99 cents. See, so, that's, that's something I'm glad you mentioned that because those days are almost unheard of. Like yeah. we got spawn doing two ninety nine covers, but other than that, fucking there's, there's a lot of new indie books out there that still come out with $6 cover yeah. price and everything it's because it's so expensive to make a book man it is but you know i i told one of the other reasons we chose to go with second sight was i you know i told bradley early on i said look i will take less money myself to make sure that we can keep the cover price low at 299 because i want as many people to read this book as possible so i don't want a 399 or a 499 cover price to scare people away so if that means i've got to make less money so that you can read it that's cool with me and so um you know i was very very happy that bradley agreed and everybody at second sight was uh was agreeable for it and so you know we're keeping the cover price it'll be 299 for every issue of the book um, and you're going 18 issues on that 18 right total issues yeah it's okay. gonna be 18 issues broken into three volumes of six issues each so kind of mm -hmm. like an old grindhouse uh, horror series the first volume is called cult of dracula the second volume is gonna be called rise of dracula and then we haven't named the third one but it's gonna be something along in that theme so gotcha. um you'll be six issues in the first six issues in the second six issues in the third so of course cult of dracula will finish up with six 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 <laughs> as well it should man absolutely it couldn't be any other way <laughs> you, you, you thought of everything rich you thought of everything man we, we tried um we, you know we really did try to think of every easter egg we could like originally we were intending to launch the book on august the uh, august the 8th which would have been the 51st anniversary of the tate labianca murders oh. uh, and so since this book has some very strong easter eggs to charles manson you know there was that we we really put some thought into the easter eggs that are in this book so i hope you guys i hope you guys enjoy finding them as much as henry and i enjoy putting them in there because we're both like stupid horror geeks and so uh, we tried to hide a lot of stuff in there. Every little thing, every idea we could come up with, um, like there's going to be an issue, issue three, um, brush up on your, uh, your um, catalog of cars used in horror movies um, because you're, you're going to spot some cool ones in there. 
All right. I, I'm already going through the it's list in my head. It's stuff for people who dig horror, you know? Uh, Fucking it. Well, dude, as a horror lover myself, I mean, you, you, you got me. Like I said, I mean, there was... You, you had all of the all of the, the the lures to get someone like me in. Somebody that has gone on record as saying very recently that I'm tired of fucking vampire books. <laughs> and Here I come. <laughs> so, hey, I'm not mad at you, man. I'm not saying I, I don't ever want to see a vampire book again. I'm just, I'm, I like new stuff. And you, you, you're bringing it to me, dude. You, it's got all the shiny things that someone simple like myself is drawn to. So it's, <laughs> uh, I, uh, man, this this has been awesome, Rich. Uh, mm-hmm. Cheers to Comics Podcast has your back, dude. You need anything. You, you. You let me know, man. We'll we'll champion your book all the way. Uh, we'll we'll get the uh, the uh, all the final order cutoff stuff in there. I'll make sure that that's okay. that's on the show. Uh, believe me, you're. I got you, man. I'm I'm sold right on. on this book. This is this Thank has been you. a pleasure. Yeah, and have people. You know, if anybody that's listening, if you want to reach out, um, you know, I'm on Facebook. Uh, cool. The best way to contact me is through the Cult of Dracula Facebook page. Uh, we're also on Instagram and Twitter, um, but it's just it's Cult of Dracula. It's super easy to find. Um, I think on Twitter we're Cult Comic, um, on Instagram and on Facebook we're Cult of Dracula Comic, um, and our website is cultofdracula.com. So you know, reach out to us. At, you know, if you just want to ask questions about the book, if you want my advice, I'm happy to give you what limited perspective I can um, <laughs> about doing this. You know, I'm don't don't want to misrepresent myself. I'm no I'm no Stanley. I'm no not even a really effective um, comics creator yet, but. I'm happy 10,000 units, 10,000 units. I will share the mistakes <laughs> that I made. And I'll, if I did something right, I'm happy to share how I did that too, because I really believe that comics and horror, uh, we're a community. So, you know, there were some really cool people who were willing to help me out. And I am more than happy to return that favor. If I can, if I can, if I can help somebody, I'm, I'm there to do it. Fucking a man. Fucking a. We're all just one big goddamn family of readers. That's all it is. So true, man. Uh, man, Rich, well, you, sir, I want you to stay healthy. We, we need all 18 issues soon and fast. We need this. This isn't a book that I want, and this is a book that I think we all need. So uh, thank you for making this, man. We will be in touch, sir. Yes, sir. All you right, have a cheers, great day, man. man. Great talking to you. Hey, you as well. Cheers. I'm Harrison. And I'm Jordan. And, and we're, we're the Green Freedom Podcast. Podcast. Do you want to listen to the number one gaming podcast on Podchaser? Of, of course, course you, you do. do. Wait, wait, is that us? Did you check that? There's comedy, gaming, and movies. Join us every Wednesday on the Grief Burrito Podcast. Fuck. Well, slurs, there you have it. Another creator has been cornered. Another episode in the books. Uh, I'm. <laughs> I'm telling you, don't don't sleep on Rich Davis. The dude is the shit. That's all there is to it. Uh, I <laughs> I look forward to going back and listening to this fucking episode myself. It's just that damn interesting to me. I don't know. I don't think I'm the only one. Uh, so, well, that be it. That be a podcast. I gotta remind you to head on over to the Patreon page, patreoncom comics. Support the show for as little as a dollar. Make sure you leave those five star ratings anywhere you can leave a five star rating. But most importantly, the overlord of podcasts, Apple. Uh, yeah, man, drop those reviews. The podcast climbs in the algorithms, and uh, hey, everything's good. Better. Everything's great now. It just gets better. Just You can help make it better by just a couple minutes, man. A couple minutes. So, 
there you go. Uh, I go 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 get Cult of Dracula. It's coming soon. It is. It's coming soon. Check out Second Sight Publishing. And uh, yeah, you slurred. Stay safe. Read responsibly. Cheers, fuckers. Hi, uh, you're listening to Cheers to Comics podcast. This is Mark Russell, and you're listening to the Cheers to Comics podcast. Hey, everyone. I'm Monty Michael Moore, and this is the Cheers to Comics podcast with Brian Wayne. This is Drew Zucker. You're listening to the Cheers to Comics podcast. <laughs>